Well, I invite you to turn in your Bible with me this morning to Second uh, Peter chapter three, verse eighteen. So we're still on the last verse of this letter of Peter to the churches, his second letter, and we've come to the end. Second Peter chapter three, verse eighteen, and I'll start in the middle of the verse. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So what Peter is doing in these last few words is ending with a doxology. A doxology is a word of praise to God. It's an exclamation of God's praise. And this is very strategic because, as you remember, Peter has concluded this letter with three final exhortations. Number one, we are to be on our guard against the false teaching of the men who were troubling the church, who are causing some to be carried away into the error of unprincipled men and fall from their own steadfastness. But secondly, he exhorted them to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is now leading Peter to conclude with really what is kind of a final exhortation, and that is to him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. It's not only just a statement that that God is glorious, but it's an invitation, if you will, an exhortation to give God the glory, both now and and to the day of eternity. And this is strategic because the best way to grow in grace is to give God glory. So the Holy Spirit is leading Peter to wrap up his second letter with this glorious note of exalting God. To Him be the glory. And again, why this is so important is because as we want to grow in grace, we best grow in grace as we live for God's glory. And that's how the two are connected. And this is why we've really reached the zenith, the capstone of these final exhortations. What this is reminding us is that oftentimes we have a struggle, don't we? And that is we're too self-centered instead of God-centered. We all struggle with this at times. But to grow in grace, God must be our focus. To grow in grace, we must seek His glory. And as we want to grow and become more like Christ and grow in grace and grow in knowledge, the best way to do that is to focus our heart upon the glory of God. And that will enable us to grow in grace as we grow with our focus on God's glory. Again, too often times we struggle because we're too self-centered rather than God-centered. But the best way to grow is to have our face, our hearts pointed in the right direction. I love flowers, many of us do, and it's interesting, flowers know how to grow best because they always turn their faces to the sun. 
The sun is a source of their energy. It's a source of their warmth, a source of their ability to grow. And the, and the beautiful little faces of the flowers will just track the sun across the sky because that's how flowers grow best. Particularly if you have tulips or sunflowers, their little faces are always pointed towards the sun. And for the child of God, that's how we grow best as well. When our faces are always focused upon the Son of God, we're looking to Him. We're seeking to live for His glory because from Him all blessings. And so what Peter is exhorting the church in these final words is to focus your face, focus your heart upon the glory of God. To live a life of solideo gloria, the old Latin motto of the Reformation, for the glory of God alone. And those are the last words he wants to ring in our hearts and ring in our minds as he closes the end of this epistle. Well, let's uh, look at verse 18 and ask a few questions. First off, who is to be glorified? Who does Peter have in mind when he says to him be the glory? Well, it's none other than Jesus Christ because he has just said that we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him, Christ, be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. This is very unusual because most doxologies are aiming at God the Father. A few, particularly this one, aim specifically at Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory. What's also fascinating about this is that, in essence, what Peter is doing is acknowledging the deity of Jesus Christ. Because only God is worthy of glory. Only God should be worshipped and, and ascribed glory to. And the very fact that Peter is now addressing this glory to Jesus Christ is a clear affirmation that Jesus Christ is divine, that he is fully God. And what's also interesting in this letter, that Peter begins the epistle stating Christ is God in the very first verse, and he ends the epistle stating that Jesus Christ is God. Remember, if you go all the way back to verse 1 of this letter, Peter wrote, Simon Peter, a bondservant, apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you were in the service when we went over that verse, you remember that what Peter has done by saying, referring to Christ as our God and Savior, he is clearly emphasizing that Jesus Christ is both God and Savior. In the Greek, this is very clear. It utilizes a Granville Sharp rule of Greek grammar, where you have an article and a noun, and then the word and, and then a noun, and it says that the two nouns refer to the same person. Here we have God and Savior both referring to Jesus Christ. And it's very clear in the Greek text. 
So what Peter is doing, he's beginning the letter affirming the deity of Christ. He's ending the letter affirming the deity of Christ. And this is really quite amazing that the Lord has given such a clear understanding to the early church that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is fully God and fully man. Two natures in one person. A mystery for sure, but a truth that cannot be denied. So while Peter is saying in verse 18, chapter 3, to Christ be the glory. To Christ be the glory. And this is because Christ is God. He deserves glory and praise and adoration and worship. It would be blasphemy to ascribe glory to a creature. It would be blasphemy to worship Christ if He were not God. And God jealously guards His glory and He will not share it with creatures. Isaiah 42 verse 8, God says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. So God jealously guards His glory, and yet Christ is worthy of receiving glory because He shares in the Godhead. He is God the Son and worthy of our glory. Well, the next question let's ask is, what does glory mean anyway? To, to Him be the glory. But what is glory? Well, we can kind of see how the word gradually developed in its usage. And this really comes from, the development comes out of the Hebrew word kavod for glory. But it originally had the idea of something that was heavy or weighty. The Hebrew word would, would refer to, to whatever an object might be if it had a lot of weight, a lot of substance, a lot of mass, that it was heavy and weighty. It was an object that had glory, had kavod. That idea eventually grew to develop the idea of someone who had a lot of wealth, was a really heavy person, a weighty person, a person of importance, a person worthy of honor. So the word glory began to be used of, of heavy people, not because they were overweight, but they were heavy in material possessions and wealth and things like that. I remember the old TV uh, uh, actor, Mr. T. Anybody old enough to remember Mr. T? He had like a thousand gold chains around his neck. And, uh, well, that guy looked like he would be, he would be heavy. He would, he would be weighty when it comes to gold. I mean, all these chains around his neck. And in the Old Testament, the, the, as this word developed, they would say he, that man has glory because he has a lot of wealth, a lot of possessions. And he is certainly an important, significant person. He has glory. And then the idea of the wealth kind of receded into the background and the word began to be used of, of God when he manifested himself and showed that he was a God that was impressive and worthy of, of honor 
by the very force of his self-manifestation, he was a God of glory, a God of infinite significance and and uh, nobility and honor and majesty. He's a God of glory. And so it eventually began to manifest itself in God's character and his the impressive character of his attributes that brought him honor. So God's greatest self-revelation, of course, is in his son, Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, the, the saints of God saw God's glory as he manifested himself in things like thunderstorms and whirlwinds, earthquakes, the Shekinah glory, the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night that the Israelites saw in the wilderness, fire on Mount Sinai, the outpouring of judgments like the plagues of Egypt, And all of this revealed God's glory. It revealed His character, His power, His justice, His holiness. And when they saw those visual manifestations, they saw the glory of God. But infinitely greater than that, God's glory is revealed through His Son, Jesus Christ, who the author of Hebrews says of Christ that He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of his nature. So what Peter means in verse 18, to him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity, amen. He's saying that Jesus Christ is worthy. He is glorious and he is worthy of our praise because Christ's glory is the revelation and proclamation of His divine nature, His redemptive sacrifice and suffering to be our Savior that should strike awe and wonder in the hearts of God's people as we see the incredibly impressive worth and value and honor of our glorious God. So Peter is saying, to Christ be the glory for all that He has done. Peter, in effect, then again, is closing his letter, ascribing glory to Christ, and really calling upon the church to live a life to the glory of God. The Westminster Shorter Catechism in question number one has that famous question, what is the chief end of man? And what is the answer? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That is your and my chief end, our chief goal, our chief purpose in life is to glorify God. That is our duty. That is our privilege. That is our calling. That is our joy. To give God glory. To praise Him. To honor Him. To give Him thanks, to adore Him, to elevate His perfections, His majesty, His preeminence, His transcendence, and also the intimacy of His love and His grace to us as sinners. All of that to the praise of His glory. 
what's interesting is a passage we read earlier back in Exodus when Moses prayed, Oh God, show me your glory. And how did God do that? Well, he, he allowed Moses to see the backside of God. So he saw a visual of the glory of the backside of the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ is the one probably who appeared to, to Moses there. But in addition to seeing the backside of a Christophany, an appearance of Christ before his incarnation, God also proclaimed his attributes. He proclaimed, proclaimed his sovereignty. I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy. But he also proclaimed himself as the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who, who forgives iniquity, transgression and sin, and yet will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. And through that revelation of His glory, both visually, but also in just the declaration of God's character and attributes, Moses made haste to bow low to the earth in worship. God's glory is more valuable than the sum total of all that is in the universe. We are told that the heavens declare the glory of God. But the heavens don't begin to declare all the glory of God. The glory of God is infinitely greater than anything that the universe can do to reflect that glory. All of creation, the universe, the mountains, the oceans, the, the galaxies, the two trillion galaxies that they think are out there, that man being created in the image of God and being able to come up with incredible objects of beauty or, or art or music, which all reflects the creative genius of God, are but a faint little reflection of God's infinite glory. And so Peter is exhorting the church, to give God glory because there's nothing in this created cosmos that is more valuable or more worthy of praise than God. And when we live this kind of a life by the grace of God, when like the flowers, our faces, our hearts are pointed to the Son of God and His glory, that's when we are transformed and grow in grace. Because after Moses saw this manifestation of the glory of God, when he came back down off the mountain, his face was shining. He was transformed by seeing the glory of God. And this is what Peter wants for you and me this morning, is to live a life, solideo gloria, for the glory of God, specifically Christ, but the whole Godhead, that our lives might be transformed more into the very image of the one whom we love and serve. Well, how do we give God glory? How do we live to His glory? Well, as we begin to contemplate what that refers to, we have to realize that there are two ways, again, to view God's glory. There is His intrinsic glory, the glory that God has in and of Himself, and we can't add anything to that glory because it is infinite. 
all we do is point to it. We cannot add to it. It's like being on July 4th at a great fireworks display and they finally come to the grand finale. And I mean, the whole sky is lit up with all these colorful explosions of the fireworks and it's just incredible. And you can't add anything to it. You can point to it and you can absorb it and be in awe of it, but you can't add to it. In the same way with God's glory, we can point to it. We can't add to it because His intrinsic glory is infinite. He is glorious because of who He is. So when Peter says, to Him be the glory, in one sense, he is acknowledging that Jesus Christ possesses this intrinsic glory in and of Himself. But on another level, what Peter, I think, is exhorting us to do is to ascribe, ascribe God's glory. This is where we don't add to it, but we acknowledge it by our life, by our words, by our actions. We live for His glory. We ascribe to Him glory. We're not adding to His intrinsic glory, but our life is lived out in the acknowledgement of His glory. And so we ascribe it, we confess it, we praise Him for it. And I think that is also involved in what Peter is saying in these final words. He wants us to give Christ glory because Christ deserves our praise. He deserves glory. We acknowledge His glory as our Lord and Savior. He's acknowledged that in the verse. Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, be the glory. We acknowledge that. We live our lives to lift that up on high, to put it on display before others, that they might see Christ as Lord and Christ as Savior, so that through our lives we are living for His glory. Soli Deo Gloria. To Christ be the glory alone. To God be the glory alone. And ultimately, this begins, of course, with our heart. And this is a challenge for us Because we all wrestle with self-centeredness. That's where our sin nature wants to drag us. But by the Spirit of God, we must focus upon being God-centered and living our life for His glory. Everything ultimately revolves around God. As the planets revolve around the sun, so our lives should be lived in the light of it revolving around Christ. And when we live to His glory, then we grow in grace and knowledge. Then we're transformed more into the likeness of our Savior. As I was reading on this uh, passage, I came across a work by Thomas Watson, one of the old Puritans. And uh, in his work, he is, uh, in one of his works, he is expounding upon the question, what is the chief end of man? And he starts out, of course, the answer is living to God's glory. It's to glorify God, to enjoy Him forever. So Watson began to list all these different ways that we glorify God. 
And it was so good that I thought I would just borrow some of his ideas and kind of package them and briefly touch upon some of them just to encourage us in how we can live for the glory of God, the glory of Christ in our lives today. So we're just going to kind of jump into them. We'll go through them pretty quick. Uh, I think I have 15 of them in your handout. Uh, this is really kind of the tip of the iceberg. Uh, but we'll quickly breeze through these. And maybe it'll encourage you and, and help redirect your life and heart to, to, to seek to be more God-centered, to live for the glory of God rather than for our own glory. Well, number one, we glorify God when we prefer His glory above all other things. In other words, we glorify God when we we want Him to be glorified. That means I want God to be glorified more than I want me to be glorified. And that's a challenge. Because oftentimes, so much of our life is oriented towards our advancement and our improvement. But to really glorify God, we should want God to be glorified even more than we want ourselves. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15, And He, that's Christ, died for all, all kinds of men, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. Paul said Christ died to release us from the bondage of just living for ourselves. You live for yourself, you're wasting your life. You live for yourself and you're just immersing yourself in in just worldly things. Live for Him who died and rose for you. That's what Paul is saying. We glorify God when we want to prefer His glory, want to live for His glory above all other things. Do we do that? That's one way. Number two, we glorify God when we seek His kingdom first over all other things. Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 33, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The context tells us, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to clothe yourself with. God's got that covered. God knows what you need. But seek His kingdom. And the kingdom of God can be condensed down into the idea of God's rule and God's reign in your life and in the world. God's rule. Seek God's rule and God's reign in your life. Seek His kingdom first, not second, not tenth. First, make it your ambition to live under the authority and the rule and reign of God, specifically Christ. And all these other things He'll add to you in His own good timing. Paul wanted Christ to be magnified. He said, whether by my life or by my death, I want Christ to be magnified. That's living solideo gloria. Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Lord, may Your name be hallowed. That's the old English word for being made holy. May may Your name be set apart as precious, as valuable, as glorious. May Your name be magnified and lifted up. 
in my life and in the world in which we live. Oh God, may your name be holy and loved and adored and worshipped. That's the very first request in the Lord's Prayer. And then the second one is, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom, thy reign, thy rule. Oh God, may that come and begin with me in my heart. See, that's the response of those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We want to be under the reign and rule of our Savior. And we struggle with that. But renounce that and seek first His kingdom. Number three, we glorify God when we're content with His will, even if it derails our own plans. It's interesting when Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will but thine be done. His human nature was struggling with the reality of the suffering of the cross. And remember He said, Father, if possible, let this cup be passed from Me. But he resigned himself and desired God's will over his desire, his human desire at that time when he said, not my will but thine be done. See, that's something that we ought to salt and flavor all of our prayers with, all of our ambitions with. Lord, this is what I want. Lord, I'm asking you to grant it, but not my will but thine be done. Is a total delight and contentment with whatever God's will is. And when we have that attitude, we glorify God. James tells us, don't be like those people who says, yeah, I'm going to go to such and such city and engage in business and make a profit. What you ought to say, if God wills, we will do go here and there and, and engage in business and make a profit. If God wills. And so we give God the glory and the thanksgiving for our curtain current blessings and circumstances knowing that his sovereign will has a good purpose and we're content with his will not that we can't improve not that we don't seek maybe better circumstances but we know what we're in today is his will and i'm content with his will praying that it would maybe change but content with it today knowing that it is good Paul learned to be content in whatever circumstances he found himself in, whether in want, poverty, or in prosperity. We glorify God when we are content with His will. Number four, we glorify God when we love Christ for saving us from our sins. This is very much a part of Peter's focus in verse 18, to glorify Him as our Lord and Savior. I love what the... Uh, Revelation chapter 5 says of those in heaven who are glorifying Christ out of love for saving sinners. They say, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy is the Lamb. You love Christ because He has died and paid the full penalty for our sins. You see, by nature, we're children of wrath. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. But by grace, we've been adopted as children of God by His never-dying love. By grace, we deserve eternal hell. By nature, we deserve eternal hell. 
by grace we deserve and we don't deserve we are given eternal life i'll get it out i don't want to be a heretic this morning excuse me but to god be the glory because christ alone has trodden the winepress of the wrath of god for our sins to him be the glory christ Praise Him, adore Him, glorify Him for who He is. He is fully God. He's fully man. Glorify Him for what He's done. He has redeemed us. Peter has already told us He has redeemed us with His precious blood as of a lamb unblemished in 1 Peter chapter 1. Glorify Him, praise Him because He, has bore, he bore our sins in His body on the cross in 1 Peter chapter 2. Glorify Him, praise Him, worship Him because of what He has done. And praise Him and worship Him for what He will do because He's going to come again. And He's going to judge the living and the dead. He's going to glorify His saints. He's going to create a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Glorify Him for what He will do as well. So we glorify God when we love Christ for the salvation that He has given to us. Number five, we glorify God when we humbly confess our sins and turn to Him for forgiveness. 1 John 1.9, when we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, we glorify God when even we as His children confess our sins because when we do it, we believe in His promises that He forgives us. That glorifies Him because we're believing in His faithfulness, His kindness, and that His Word is always true. Adam blamed his wife and didn't take responsibility for his own sin. And in doing so, he didn't glorify God. The prodigal son, however, when he returned home, confessed to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven And in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And he glorified God as he humbled himself and confessed his sins both to heaven and to his father. And he was casting himself on God's mercy and loving kindness. And that glorifies God. Number six, we glorify God when we believe his word. Abraham believed it. Even when he was too old to have children, he still believed it. And Paul says in Romans 4, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. He glorified God because he believed in the promise that it would come to pass, even though his body said it's not going to come to pass, and Sarah's body said it will not happen. He believed God's word that glorified God when we believe His Word. John says, the one who does not believe God has made him to be a liar. You see, faith glorifies God by believing His Word. And even though everything is stacked against it, when we believe God and believe His Word, that glorifies Him. Because we know that nothing is impossible with our God. And we walk by faith and not by sight. And there's one thing that pleases God in Hebrews 11, that is our faith. It glorifies Him. It pleases Him. Number seven, we glorify God with our words. Just look at Psalm 66. Shout, 
joyfully to God all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Make His praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. So we use our mouth to actually glorify God by praising Him publicly. Praising Him around our friends. Praising Him when we're at work. Giving Him praise. That glorifies Him when God's people use their mouths and their words to praise God, to magnify God, and extol Him. Peter has also reminded us in his first letter that we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a possession for God, a people for God's own possession. Why? So that we might proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Proclaim it. I'm so glad that the Lord has saved me from my sins. We proclaim it. His excellencies. That's what we're called to do. And that glorifies God when we use our mouth, our speech, our tongue to glorify Him. A, we glorify God by bearing fruit. Jesus said, My Father's glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. So that we glorify God by bearing fruit. What kind of fruit? Well, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of those. When we exhibit those in our life, that glorifies God. Other fruit can be good works and service and loving one another and sharing the gospel with the lost. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. So if we want to live for God's glory, then let's pray and seek opportunities to be more fruitful because that glorifies our God in heaven. We don't want to be like the fig tree when Jesus looked on it It had leaves, but it had no fruit. And Christ ended up cursing it. What glorifies God is much fruit. Jesus said, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And again, earlier Peter had this in mind back in 1 Peter chapter 4, when he says, Every believer has been given a spiritual gift by God. Employ it for God's glory. Whoever speaks, let him speak as one who's speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves, do it as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So as we use our spiritual gift to minister to the body, we're bearing fruit for the glory of God. So how fruitful are we? Well, none of us are fruitful enough probably, certainly for what the Lord deserves. May God help us to bear more fruit. Number nine, quickly, we glorify God when we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Again, this is what Peter has already indicated in verse 18 when he has exhorted us to Grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, whenever we seek to become more like Christ, that glorifies Christ. Whenever the Spirit of God, whenever our heart is to be more like the Savior, 
that glorifies the Savior because He's the only one worth being like. And when God in His mercy and grace moves us and advances us in our sanctification down that path, it glorifies the Lord. Number 10, we glorify God when we live with His joy in our hearts. A lot of times we don't have joy as we should. We're so overwhelmed with all the problems and the vexing circumstances of life, we lose our joy. But Psalm 100 says, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. God's people should have joy. When we have joy in light of the blessings that we have from God, that glorifies God because we're rejoicing in Him. Again, too often times when we get our focus upon all the problems around us and all the difficulties that we have, then that torpedoes our joy. And it may be floating along, but it's like a Titanic. We hit these icebergs of trouble and these icebergs of affliction, and it sinks our joy. But when we get our eyes off of that and we look at the glory of Christ, we look at the blessings that we have in Him, then that's a joy that can be sustained all the time if our focus, if our face is turned to the Son of God. Peter has already said that in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6. He said, In this you greatly rejoice. What's the this referred to? Our inheritance in heaven, which can't be in any way tarnished or lost. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It will not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith. In this you greatly rejoice. So when we get our eyes off of the losses and the troubles of this life and look at what we have in Christ, the gain of glory, then you can have a joy in that that can overcome the sadness that the world can only give to us. We glorify God when we live with His joy in our hearts. And we need more of that joy. Serving God does not glorify God if it's done with a complaining or grumpy spirit. Do it with joy. Do it with joy in Christ. That's what glorifies Him. Number 11, we glorify God when we love His truth and stand up for it. Jude 3, to contend earnestly for the faith that glorifies God when we so love God and love His Word that we earnestly contend for it. That glorifies and honors the Lord as well. Number 12, we glorify God when we do everything heartily for His glory. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So you get up in the morning. Man, you're getting ready to go to work. Why are you going to work? You ever stop and think about it? Of course, it takes a few cups of coffee for me to even get my brain cells working. But you get up in the morning, and that's a time when we need to, to recalibrate our life. It's like, it's like being in the crosshairs. You've got to recalibrate it to get it when it's way off over here to bring it back and center it on why am I here? What's my purpose in life? It's to glorify God. You get up in the morning, you get ready to go to work. Why am I going to work today? I want to glorify you today, Lord. I want to honor you today, Lord. 
And I tell you, the, the prayer that keeps every morning, it comes into my mind, is that Lord's Prayer, the very first one. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Lord, may your name be holy in my life today, in the life of my family, in the life of the church, in the life of the world. May your name be uplifted and, and held as sacred. We glorify God when we do everything with heart for his glory. And keeping that perspective can be so elusive because you can have it for a moment and three days later you say, well, here it comes again. And it's almost as if it's so easy to lose that perspective. Whatever you do, don't do it for your glory. Don't do it for your praise. Don't do it for your comfort, your ease. Do it for the glory of God. And then Paul says in Colossians 3, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. When you go to work, you're not working for your boss. You're working for Jesus Christ. You do your work for Him as if He's your employer. He's your boss. And you do everything with heart. You don't just give halfway measure to it. You do it out of a joy of Christ to honor Him, to do it for His glory at all times. That's the attitude we should have to live solidale gloria. 13, we glorify God when we give Him the credit for all of our achievements. We give God the glory when we acknowledge that all of our prosperity, all of our success, all of our attainments come by His grace ultimately for His glory. That's why Paul, the great apostle, could say, I planted, talking about his evangelistic missionary ministry, I planted the seed of the gospel. Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. We need to give God the glory, not bring that praise back on ourselves, who gave you your mind? Who gave you your ambitions? Who gave you your talents and abilities by which you earn a living? It all comes from God. To God be the glory. God is the one who's causing the growth. We don't want to be like Nebuchadnezzar who stood on his palace looking out over his gardens and said, Is this not Babylon the Great which I myself have built? as a royal residence by the might and power of my might and power for the glory of my majesty. So God turned him into a bovine, a cow to eat grass for seven years. We don't want to be like that. Don't be like King Herod when the people cried out when he was given a speech, the voice of a God and not of a man. And he didn't give God the glory. And God sent an angel that struck him with a worm that caused him to die. He was eaten and died by worms. Doesn't sound very pleasant, but beware robbing God of His glory. Give Him the praise. Give Him the glory for all that we accomplish. 14, we glorify God when we enjoy Him. Whom have I in heaven but you? And beside you I desire nothing on earth. I desire God. This is the attitude of, of the psalmist. 
I desire God more on earth than anything this earth, this world can give me. I desire God more. He is more precious to me. He's more valuable to me. I have more joy from Him than anything the world can give. Man, the Spirit of God would give us that heart. How blessed we would be. The psalmist says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Delight in the blessings of God. Delight in His salvation. Delight in His character, His love, His power, His faithfulness, His goodness. And He'll give you the desires of your heart. And finally, we glorify God when we seek His help in times of weakness or dullness of spirit. And I close with this one because I think oftentimes, if you're like me, we struggle with trying to live Solidale Gloria. I mean, I find my, my mind, my heart can easily wander off that great goal. And so we glorify God when we humbly acknowledge it and we seek God to help us live more for His glory and less for our own comforts and ease and blessing. God is glorified when I acknowledge I need your help I can't do it on my own. Help me, O oh God. I'm failing in this. I need more grace from you to help me to, to center my affections more upon you than upon myself. Or just like Peter, his eyes on the Lord, getting out of that boat, walking on the water, and suddenly his eyes get off of Christ and get on the wind, get on the waves, and suddenly he starts sinking. He lost his focus. His face turned away from the Lord and turned it on the circumstances around him. And he started sinking like a rock. But God is glorified because Peter cried out, Lord, save me. Lord, help me. And that glorifies God because we're acknowledging I can't do it on my own. I don't have the strength. I need more grace from you. You are my rock. You are my fortress. You are my strength and my power. You and you alone. And it glorifies God when we praise Him, when we're crying out to Him, because only He can help us in time of weakness and dullness of spirit. We're too often too self-centered. We're not God-centered enough. And yet when we acknowledge that and cry out to God, He's glorified because we're looking to His grace, His perfections, His excellencies to help us. Well, in wrapping this up, when should we glorify Christ? When should we glorify God? Peter says, both now and to the day of eternity. We should do it now. Why should we do it now? Well, we're forgiven now. We're justified now. We're redeemed by the blood of Christ now. We're adopted into His family now. We're reconciled by His blood now. We're being sanctified now. He deserves our glory now. To Him be the glory now. Not tomorrow, not next week. Now. 
right now. He deserves the glory from our life. Paul says to live is Christ. To die is gain. He wanted his words, his actions, his thoughts, his plans, his ambitions to all reflect glory on Christ. That's what he wants us to do as well. Every day, our theme, our motivation, our goals should be soli deo gloria. Lord, how can I please you today? Lord, how can I honor you today? Lord, how can I live for you today or serve you today? Lord, how can I, how can I do that to bring you glory today? That's the call of the Christian life. And he is worthy of that glory now and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day until Christ comes back till we reach the day of eternity which will go forward forever. In other words, to Him be the glory now and forever. From this day, this second, this moment onward, Christ deserves the glory. Forever our Savior is on His throne. Forever our High Priest is in heaven praying for us. Forever our King rules over all of His universe. Forever the glory of the cross is imprinted in His glorified body with the nail prints in His hands and in His feet and the spear wound in His side. Forever it will shout out the glory of the cross of Jesus Christ. Forever He is risen in glory. Forever He lives in glory next to this Father in heaven. And as long as immortal redeemed souls live, and as long as God's throne endures, and as long as the angels are surrounding the throne of God forever shall be the glory of the Lamb of God. He is worthy of glory now and forever and ever and ever. Amen. The Amen is just our affidavit to the truth that we believe with all of our hearts that God, that Christ is worthy of glory now and forever. Amen. I believe it. That's my affidavit. I'm testifying to the truth that Christ deserves glory forever. Amen. So in wrapping this up, there will come a day when every knee will bow of those in heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Not every knee is now bowing. Not every tongue is now confessing. One day it shall. But today He is worthy of it all. So today it must come from His people. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. So are we living our lives so that Christ is glorified? As Paul says, is it, is it our ambition, whether at home or absent, whether alive or dead, to be pleasing to Him? Is that the focus of our life? And oftentimes we realize we are far from the mark. Oh God, give us help. Oh Lord, help. Johann Sebastian Bach was a man who tried to live Solidale Gloria
And it was said that in his work, he was a brilliant composer, musician, that whenever he started his work, he would put the letters JJ on the top of the page. JJ standing for Jesus Juna, which is translated, Jesus help me. Oh, Jesus help me in my work. Oh, Jesus, I need you. That humble acknowledgement of his need. And then whenever he finished his composition, he would always close it with the initials SDG. Solideo Gloria Close. For him, it was Solideo Grazia. To God alone the praise. Which is similar to God alone the glory. That was his heart. That was his work. That was his desire, his passion. Is it yours? Is it mine? Oh, God, help us. Jesus, help us. Our Father God, we thank you for the Spirit of God leading Peter to write these closing words that are such a challenge to us. Lord, we want to live that way, but Lord, we struggle so. So, Father, we acknowledge to you our heart is there, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Oh God, help us. Lord Jesus, help us. Help us not to be so focused on our lives, but to actually consciously and deliberately turn our face to the glory of Christ, that our lives might bloom in His glory and His grace that we might bear fruit and bring him all the glory because he is worthy. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen.